Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of Exodus. For this reading that is prescribed for today has to do with transfiguration. This is Transfiguration Sunday, hence the the white uh, stole for today and the communion. On the last Sunday prior to the beginning of Lent, we celebrate the transfiguration of the Lord. And so our Old Testament reading from Exodus 24 is the story of Moses and the first transfiguration that took place in Scripture. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written, that you may teach them. So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God, and he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. The sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading is from the Gospel of Matthew as we hear his account of Jesus and his transfiguration on the mount. And by to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white and suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him and then Peter said to Jesus Lord it is good for us to be here if you wish I will make three dwellings here one for you one for Moses and one for Elijah but while he was still speaking suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them and from the cloud A voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This morning's appointed gospel lectionary reading is of the account of Jesus' transfiguration as recorded in the 17th chapter of Matthew. There are many strange and wonderful stories contained in the biblical accounts that we have of Jesus' earthly ministry, 
accounts that are full of signs and wonders, miracles, power and compassion are there recorded. Yet the stories of the transfiguration remain particularly strange and peculiar. And I'm, I'm fascinated by, by the temporal transformations of this event. Here we have Jesus and his friends hiking a mountain, and then Jesus' appearance changes, and immediately they find themselves sharing a stage with two of the most familiar characters from the annals of the Old Testament. Moses, the giver of the law, and Elijah, the great prophet. We're looking at figures from many generations past who have been transported into the here and now for their cameos alongside this teacher from Nazareth. And at the conclusion of the account, Jesus admonishes the three disciples who had been with him, telling them not to speak of this until his resurrection from the dead, a date that was still off in the future a ways. And inserted right here in between, we have the voice of God speaking once again from a bright cloud as he had in the days when the Israelites had been wandering through the wilderness of Sinai and Moses was invited to, to come up for a face-to-face -face chat. The Gospel according to Matthew is a, a theological treatise designed to make it clear to its readers and its hearers that Jesus of Nazareth was indeed the Son of God, the Messiah. Here on the Mount of Transfiguration, we have more evidence to substantiate that claim. The voice of God himself is testifying to this reality when he says, this is my son. Listen to him. So here in this single event, we have the confluence of past, present, and future. God affirming the authenticity of the claims that have been made about Jesus. Yes, he is the Son of God and the Son of Man. Yes, he is the fulfillment of the law and of the prophets. So, you may wonder, what's this mean for us? Well, one of the things that it means for us is that in his transfiguration, Jesus has drawn back the curtain of heaven for us and given us a sneak peek of what's happening with God. In this divine revelation, we learn that there's more going on here than meets the eye. That's true with Jesus. And I would submit that it's true with us as well. Just as the very word of God himself came to earth in the form of a lowly infant who grew in stature as a man and who was raised in glory after his death, so too, we, all of us, are undergoing a lifelong transformation. From the very moment when we become aware of God's saving grace in our lives, we're changed. We cannot unknow the truth.
We may ignore it, but we cannot unknow it. And along with this wisdom comes awareness of how we are being made different. That God-given wisdom is necessary because the transformation is difficult to discern at a superficial level. Depending on the person, it may be very difficult to infer. For many, changes that come about subsequent to being reborn as a Christian do not involve the physical appearance, though more frequent smiles may be order of the day. But things like skin, hair, and eye color don't change overnight. The flattering DMV photos that are found on our driver's licenses wouldn't vary if they were taken a day before and a day after our acceptance of Christ. The change is inward, though its outworkings of the love of God and neighbor may and should be evidenced by those around us. Whether subtle or profound, though, we are all alike being sanctified by God. We are being made more and more like Him. Gradually, over time, this ongoing work of reconstruction is a lifelong venture, and indeed it will not even stop at the hour of our death, but will carry over into the life of the age to come. In his book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis imagined people by nature as ghosts, lacking in form and substance. But over time, though, some of them could become more solid, more real, as they were being made so by the God whom they had come to know, worship, and adore. And this state of physicality was preparing them for a new life to come in a place in which everything, everything there was much more solid, more real than ever could be imagined in this existence of ours. I love this metaphor in which we are not shadows of our former selves, but rather we are shadows of our future selves, being made more substantial by the sanctifying power of God at work within us even now. It has been said, still waters run deep. That may well be true when it comes to what's happening beneath the surface of all whom the Father is continually fashioning into useful utensils, to use Paul's metaphor in his second letter to Timothy. These thoughts have been swirling about in my head, in part, I suspect, because I have been reminded of them in reflecting on our own mortality and the impermanence of our current state. For those who have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, I think it is comforting to know that there is more to life and to death than meets the eye. Jesus dramatically demonstrated this to Peter, James, and John in his transfiguration. But the glory that was his, though of a magnitude greater, was not reserved exclusively 
for the Messiah, but has been gifted through him to all of us who've been obedient to his father's words on that day, encouraging us, listen to him. There's a favorite song of mine from a few years back that talks about the singer not being the man he used to be. Whether you are male or female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, those outward characteristics no longer matter. For we who have been remade as equals in Christ, while our outer natures may continue to differ and to decay, our inner natures are being constantly strengthened by God that we might be more like Him. Next Sunday we'll arrive at the first Sunday in Lent, Good Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Traditionally, the Lenten journey begins with another story of transformation in the life of Jesus. It takes place over a few weeks in the wilderness of 40 days and 40, num- 40 days and 40 nights number, just as Moses on the mountain comes into play with Jesus in the wilderness. That story, however, isn't nearly as awe-inspiring nor as public an event, yet it is certainly meaningful as it is foundational to Jesus' identity as an obedient son, supplanting his own will, wants, and desires to those of the Father. For me, at least, the great takeaway from all this is that what we are now is not what we will be, and that what is now is not all that will be. And that thought sparks a lot of hope. There are processes underway under the providence of a good God, which are both pointing toward and working toward something more. Evident in the healing, redemptive birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe is actively involved in the work of setting the fallen, imperfect things back to rights. This process of sanctification is succinctly described in our book of Confessions wherein the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us that it is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. In a guide to historic Christian beliefs called a concise theology, The author observes the concept is not of sin being totally eradicated. That, he says, is to claim too much. Nor is it sin merely being counteracted, for that would be to say too little. But it is of a divinely wrought character change that frees us from sinful habits and forms in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. God is, indeed, 
actively at work in us and within us, fitting us for a life that is more than that which we know this day. And there is, I believe, evidence to support such a claim. Have a look back for yourselves. It's been said that hindsight is 2020. Is the face in the mirror the same one as yesterday? Well, perhaps, or pretty darn close. But it isn't the same as a few or more than a few years ago. If you had a spiritual mirror, the same would hold true there as well, I dare say. What we are now is not what we were then, nor is it what we will be in the age to come. And this goes not only for you and for me, but it goes for all the cosmos that the master builder has made and continues to mold and shape to his glory. And Paul wrote to the church in Rome that indeed the whole of creation has been, in his words, groaning in labor pains as it awaits the ultimate perfecting touch of her creator. The earth and the stars are not even what they once were. We see new images from the wonderful technologies that have enabled us to peer both back in time in the prehistoric record and up into the heavens, further back even in time there. But the earth and the heavens that we see then, that we know now, they are not what they will ultimately become. For a new heaven and a new earth are, even now, being prepared for us. The mystery of the transfiguration points us to just such a hopeful understanding of God's love that is undying and active in us and in all that he has made and claimed as part of his dominion. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, and forever. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God, and amen.